Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. The campaign for Attorney General candidate Keith Ellison got a big boost this week from Vermont Senator and former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. It looks like the political revolution is moving here in Minneapolis. Sanders campaigned for Ellison at this rally Friday at First Avenue in Minneapolis. The two also campaigned together in Duluth. Sanders called Ellison one of the great progressive members of Congress and is excited to see him fight for working-class Minnesotans. Keith and I have stood together out on the streets of Washington, D.C. and elsewhere with working people fighting to end a starvation minimum wage of seven and a quarter an hour and saying that in America, if you work 40 hours a week, you're not going to live in poverty. Raise that damn minimum wage. Our nation is in a moment in history where every noble, decent, fair, green impulse is under attack. Ellison, you'll recall, endorsed Sanders for president during the 2016 campaign. Now, we also heard this week from the Republican-endorsed candidate for attorney general, Doug Wardlow. At a news conference to discuss President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Wardlow says he takes issue with Ellison's reasons for running for attorney general. He has specifically stated that he wants to use the office of the attorney general to obstruct the president's agenda. And that is, he wants to make the office of attorney general very political. He wants to go into court and then use the politicized judiciary to achieve legislative-type ends that uh, the Democrats can't achieve through the actual legislative process, and that's very problematic. Now, later in Faceoff, we'll also take a look at an ad that Doug Wardlow is running about Ellison and Bernie Sanders. Two other Republicans are challenging Wardlow for the Republican nomination for attorney general. With election season now in full swing, we'll once again be putting the political ads you see on TV through our truth test. This week, we have our first one of the 2018 campaign. It examines an ad critical of Republican gubernatorial candidate Tim Pawlenty and his past actions on health care funding. When our son Nick was born, he was born with three-fourths of a heart. This TV ad from the Alliance for a Better Minnesota attacks Tim Pawlenty's record when he served as governor from 2003 to 2011. It features a woman from Moose Lake who says cuts to health care funding made it difficult to afford medical treatment for her infant son. As governor, Tim Pawlenty cut health care for seniors and children like Cheryl's son, Nick. The ad cites a Star Tribune article from June 17, 2009, about Palenti's latest attempt to balance the budget without raising taxes. The front page story highlights his attempt to unallot increases in state funding for a wide variety of programs, including $236 million for health care, senior programs, and other human services. This claim is mostly true. And under Palenti, medical costs skyrocketed. This claim cites a post from the left leaning health care advocacy group. Families USA on August 17, 2009, about Palenti and skyrocketing medical costs. However, we couldn't find anything about Palenti on the organization's website from that date. In addition, the claim that Palenti was responsible for, quote, skyrocketing medical costs is so vague and offers so little context, we deem this to be false. And the number of uninsured grew 50%. This claim about a report from Minnesota Public Radio in 2010 is a bit misleading. It is true the number of Minnesotans without health insurance increased 
50% while Pawlenty was governor, from 6.1% to 9.1% between 2001 and 2009. However, the health department study this NPR report was based on says, quote, a decline in employer-based coverage was the main reason for the increase in the uninsurance rate. The loss of publicly financed health care insurance was a smaller factor. These medical bills Given the mix of true, false and misleading claims, along with a lack of context, this ad gets a C on the truth test. The Alliance for a Better Minnesota says the reason we couldn't find information on the family's USA website is because they put the wrong date in the ad. However, the information they did send us from the correct date did not specifically claim Tim Pawlenty was responsible for skyrocketing medical costs in Minnesota. Now, you can see the criteria we use for our truth tests on our Vote 2018 page. Look for this story there by going to kstp.com backslash vote. University of Minnesota President Eric Kaler has announced he will leave his post one year from now. His last day will be July 1st, 2019. In a statement issued Friday, Kaler says the time is right for him to step down after leading the university for seven years. He says he will serve as president emeritus in the year following his departure in order to continue work on a major fundraising campaign for the university. Mr. President, I am grateful to you, and I'm humbled by your confidence in me. That is President Trump's nominee to be the next Supreme Court Justice. Judge Brett Kavanaugh served the last 12 years on the Washington, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The 53-year-old made the rounds on Capitol Hill this week, meeting with senators who will vote on whether or not to confirm him. This will shape up to be an all-out political battle, and experts say it will be difficult but not impossible for Democrats to block Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation. No matter who President Trump nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court, it was bound to create a political lightning rod. The choice of Brett Kavanaugh quickly sparked a protest outside the Supreme Court. Has got to go. Minnesota Senator Tina Smith joined in. The person who fills this seat, long held by Justice Kennedy, will shape the course of American democracy for decades. I had hoped that the president would appoint a consensus choice Today. Smith and fellow Minnesota Democrat Amy Klobuchar will likely oppose Kavanaugh. Klobuchar's Republican opponent said she should keep an open mind. She has a very strong obstructionist record when it comes to these type of appointments and nominations. Uh, I call upon her to do what's best and what is best in the best interest of our nation and to uh, move quickly with this decision-making process. Republicans control the Senate 51 to 49 but it could be 50 to 49 due to Senator John McCain's health. That means Democrats might only need to get one Republican to vote against, possibly Republican Susan Collins of Maine or Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. But Republicans have their eyes on three vulnerable Democrats, Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. They're the big three because they're all up for election in 2018. And each of their states in 2016 went for Donald Trump by a very large margin. So they are very much at risk in very red states. And all three of those Democrats voted to confirm President Trump's last Supreme Court pick last year, Justice Neil Gorsuch. The stakes are a little higher this year, both for the direction of the court and for the midterm elections. 
A flyer that's showing up in some Twin Cities mailboxes raises concerns about how President Trump's Supreme Court pick could influence the fight over women's reproductive rights. These flyers encourage recipients to reach out to politicians in their districts to talk about the importance of keeping birth control affordable. The flyers are coming from a D.C.-based group called Defend Birth Control. In a statement, a spokesperson for the group says in part, with more than one million Minnesotans who could be affected by the Trump administration's recent attacks on affordable birth control, it's important the public knows what is at risk. Up next, Brian Melendez and Annette Meeks will be here for political analysis. And we catch up with a group of voters pushing to see two DFL U.S. Senate candidates debate before the August 14th primary. Minnesota is the center of some key campaign races this primary election season. One of the most high profile is the race to replace Al Franken's vacated U.S. Senate seat. Governor Mark Dayton appointed Tina Smith to Franken's spot, but she faces other Democratic challengers. Former White House Chief Ethics Counselor Richard Painter is the most high profile of those challengers. How diehard Democrats are faced with the question of who to support. Eric Chalou shows us how some Minneapolis neighbors formed a grassroots movement to learn more about their candidates. The person that was at the storage unit next to mine said, oh my God, you feel the same way that I do. It started as a therapy group at their downtown Minneapolis building. We'd vent for a half an hour. We wanted, you know, a place where women can talk about the issues. We sat down with some of the women who created the Bridgewater political group. It's pretty fair to say that doesn't matter who that DFLer is to come out of the primary. You'll we're voting for yes, the we're so voting blue. Yeah, right. Yes, you're voting blue, but you want to know who that man or woman is. What the best candidate is? Yeah, I mean we're about you know honesty, transparency, and being educated. Their meetings as of late focus on the special U.S. Senate election to fill the remaining two years on Al Franken's old seat. Our push then is what can we do as citizens? to make things different. Now it's that's, the time for the action. Right, that's and that's, what we're, that's yeah. what we're doing now. Yeah. So we're finally doing it. They launched a petition to try and get the DFL candidates to debate. Right now, the only event slated ahead of the primary is a candidate forum at FarmFest in Redwood County in August. Tina Smith's camp says they are considering another debate. Richard Painter, who will be the only other Democrat at FarmFest, is pushing for more debates. We're citizens who want these two candidates, very viable candidates, to have to speak before the public and tell us everything they think about the environment and health care and how they're going to combat Trump. The, the group isn't committed to we need to make a decision as a group about who people are going to vote for. A lot of people are not decided. Eric Shalou, 5 Eyewitness News. And 5 Eyewitness News will be hitting the road this election season, and we want you to join us for coffee and a conversation. Our new political brew segment will focus on issues that matter to you. Reporter Eric Shalou will be hosting these roundtable discussions with voters in cities all across Minnesota. If you are interested in participating, go to the links tab at kstp.com to sign up. And joining me now for political analysis, Annette Meeks and Brian Melendez. Thank you both for being here. Let's talk a little bit about the Richard Painter-Tina Smith race. It's interesting. So far, no scheduled debates in that race. You heard those women hoping the two of them could face off uh, face-to-face so they could learn more about both of them. 
Brian, do you think that that will happen? You used to be the DFL party chair. Would it be a good idea for Tina Smith to engage her opponent? Uh, you know, usually when you see somebody demanding debates, it's usually a less known candidate who's trying to get better known at the expense of their already better known opponent. Here we have two people who are, while not unknown, they're not household names. Um, so, so both Tina Smith and Richard Painter could stand again in a debate where they did well. Because it would get a lot of coverage, obviously, and they could both raise their profile. And not only that, nobody knows a lot about either of them and their stances on the issues. So I think it would also help just educate the electorate a lot about where they stand in the issues. May I just say, in the case of Richard Painter, who claimed he was a Republican for several decades, now is running as a DFLer. If I were a Democrat, I would want to know where he stands on the issues specifically. Absolutely. And with Tina Smith, she is the current senator, but she was not elected to that position, so it's kind of hard to employ that Rose Garden strategy like I'm going to choose what the time and whether or if I'm going to debate my opponent. Right. Her prior, her, her prior experience was as lieutenant governor, which, which again is not somebody that voters are thinking about every day or that's in the media every day. Now, uh, another race uh, turned a little ugly this week. It's, campaign ads have started to pop up just this week after the 4th of July uh, passed. Uh, Tim Pawlenty taking a very hard line against Jim, Tim, uh, Jeff Johnson, claiming that uh, he's voted to raise taxes, he was in favor of Obamacare. Uh, were you surprised to see that? Not at all. Jeff Johnson has been running for governor for six years. Uh, remember, he ran against Governor Dayton in 2014, basically just kept that campaign going for the last four years. He's very well known to Republican activists. He's the endorsed candidate. If I were Tim Pawlenty, I would do this as well. I don't think anybody running in 2018, as we learned in 2016, can take any election for granted, and I'm glad to see Tim Pawlenty is not. But, Brian, it would be hard to call Jeff Johnson a tax-and-spend liberal, <laughs> which is what this ad, he's been a, a fiscal hawk on the Hennepin County Board. He's usually uh, the one vote against whatever they're trying to spend money on, and he's, he's built that reputation over a number of years. But can an ad like this get traction? Because it's there 30 seconds, then it's gone. I, speaking from the other side of the aisle, I agree. Jeff Johnson is not exactly who Tim Pawlenty is portraying him as. Uh, Jeff Johnson's a pretty solid Republican candidate. Uh, uh, can the ad get traction? I think it'll get traction with Republican primary voters. Uh, but, but whoever comes out as the Republican nominee, I don't think that they're necessarily playing to the voters that they need to reach out to in the general. So it's, it's a short-term strategy. And do you expect Jeff Johnson to try to fire back? He is woefully underfunded compared to Tim Pawlenty. Does he even have the resources to put an ad on uh, refuting this or to go after Pawlenty? Well, we'll know in a couple weeks uh, when their next filing is due. But we know that you know he's been woefully inadequate in the fundraising. But I think it's interesting that he's saying you know he's not a tax and spender when in fact he has voted to raise taxes while on the Hennepin County Board. And understand the context there. It's like being the cheapest socialist. You're still voting to raise taxes and Jeff needs to tell voters why he did that now the those two have not uh, debated uh, in public yet they've done some uh, forums with some groups but the first televised debate is going to be on our air here right on at issue on August 5th and so we'll hear from them going head-to-head -head. so that'll be fascinating uh, to watch as you look at the other races and how they're shaping up it what I've been interested in in seeing in terms of the outside spending. So far, no money in the 8th District or the 1st District. 
Is a lot of that money sitting on the sidelines until we get past the primaries? I would guess so. I would guess, uh, especially in the 8th District, what is there, five DFLers running? I think that's running? right, five. Going um, and and with, so we saw this week, for example, uh, Pete Stauber up there had a good fundraising quarter, and I think he's just socking it away until the general election, and I think the other five as well are doing more, and they just need to worry about the DFL primary. That's all they're focused on. And Brian, final word on this. Uh, the there has been zero dollars outside spending, but we expect that to be one of the most expensive in the nation. It's going to all come in like an avalanche. I, I expect the outside funding is going to wait to see what happens in the primary and then, and then see whether they think the, the candidates are viable. Yeah, and then once right. you get to the state fair and then past Labor Day, uh, your TV sets and your wherever you are on the Internet is going to be loaded with TV ads. Uh, no question about that, Annette and Brian. Thanks for being here. Up next, Brian McClung and Catherine Tanucci will be here for Face Off. We'll be back in two minutes. The University of Minnesota is still working to find money for its athletes village. The complex opened earlier this year, but the U is still more than $40 million short of its $166 million fundraising goal. The shortfall comes after a string of controversies in the athletics department. We're having record fundraising right now with our Athletes Village projects. We're very pleased with where we're at with our fundraising. Needless to say, we need to continue to raise more. We asked the university for a breakdown of fundraising numbers over the last few years. They couldn't provide them immediately, but they said they would supply them in the near future. And, of course, we learned on Friday big changes coming at the U of M. Eric Kaler, the president of the university, is going to be stepping down. And, of course, we'll be uh, having uh, more on that in the coming weeks as they look for a replacement for him. But joining me now, Catherine Tanucci and Brian McClung for Face Off. And let's start by talking about the big Bernie Sanders-Keith Ellison rally on Friday, Keith Ellison hoping Bernie Sanders will bring some uh, attention to Keith Ellison's campaign. Is that going to be helpful to him to bring Bernie Sanders in, especially if you're trying to woo middle-of-the-road voters? I think, it, I think it was a pretty exciting day for the Ellison campaign. Remember, he's got a competitive primary to win before wooing those middle-of-the-road voters. And so I think it shows a ton of enthusiasm and excitement for Keith as a candidate, and I think it's going to help um, turn out uh, turn out DFL voters uh, to support Keith in the primary. And they had a big crowd there at First Avenue in Minneapolis, a little different from the days when Prince was performing there. Now Bernie Sanders is performing there. <laughs> Interesting thing, though, Brian, is that uh, Doug Wardlow, the endorsed Republican candidate, uh, kind of welcomes Bernie Sanders because he wants to tie Ellison and Sanders together because he thinks that's going to help in greater Minnesota. Let's take uh, just a brief look at a little digital ad they put out this week about that. We have no common ground. It's our job to, to, to fight Trumpism. We should be mobilizing our people in a way that creates the kind of movement we need. And we want to be making clear that if he tries to deliver on his word, that we will be there to say no. How about that's why people are on the street? Very inflammatory ad, no question about it, uh, trying to make the Ellison-Sanders supporters look like militants. And is that designed for greater Minnesota, the voters there who might not take... Uh, to an Ellison candidate? I, mean, I think it is in many ways, but I think there are voters in the metro area as well who are concerned about that and are concerned about the democratic socialism that Bernie Sanders stands for. I mean, he's way to the left, right? And that is, frankly, where the entire Democratic Party has gone recently. But for a lot of mainstream Minnesota voters, Bernie Sanders is way out there. Keith Ellison is way out there. I think Keith Ellison is going to have a hard time statewide. I think we're going to see he's likely to win the DFL primary for attorney general, I think, based on his name ID and this kind of support. But in that general election, I think it's going to be a very close race, and we could elect the first Republican attorney general since, I think, the early 1970s. Do you think that ad went a little too far? 
I think that a lot of voters are looking at, at what's happening in the world and thinking that Trump is the one who is inflaming our politics. And when we have a president who is offending world leaders on a weekly basis, and, and that is the sort of thing that people are hungry for someone like Keith Ellison to stand up to that and be a voice for the people. Well, now, speaking of President Trump, he chose a Supreme Court nominee this week. Uh, no matter who he picked, Democrats were going to be opposed to that. What do you think of his pick of Brett Kavanaugh? I think he's a very strong pick. His credentials are unimpeachable. He has very solid background. He's been on the D.C. Circuit Court bench since 2006. He was approved uh, in a, on a bipartisan basis when he was appointed in 2006. So he's had strong support. You look at his record, he's been a strong mentor of women in his clerkships. More than 50% of his clerks have been women. So he's recognized as just a really nice, good person, somebody who reads the law, who is very careful and thoughtful. And I think Democrats are really going to have a very difficult time trying to stop this nomination. And do you agree with that? You know, Democrats are trying to pick off a couple of Republicans because it is so close in the Senate. But as we pointed out before, there are some vulnerable Democrats as well who might be forced to vote for him. I think that's those are really nice things to say. And maybe he is a nice guy, but he has a very clear record on a number of very important issues. And there are, let's not forget, we have a majority pro-choice Senate. There are Republican senators who are pro-choice and who are going to have a, I think it'll be, I think there's a very real possibility that Democrats are able to pick off a couple of those pro-choice senators to vote against him. Certainly there are a few Democrats who, who are, find themselves in a tough spot in terms of their districts and needing to support the nominee. But I think the good news about having, uh, he has a lot of experience and a long record, and there's going to be a very lengthy, I think, uh, battle over over his record and, and what this would mean if he is uh, confirmed. All right. But you look at our neighbor, yeah, neighboring uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, right? If she votes to confirm him, that helps her in her red state in her reelection, but it hurts her with her base. So this has put Heitkamp, Donnelly, and Manchin in a really tough spot. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes together. It is going to be fascinating to watch how this uh, plays out over the next several weeks. Catherine and Brian, thank you for being here. The Twins tried to get one of their own into the All-Star game with some help from Minnesota's own Bachelorette. We'll have that story, a much lighter story, when we come back. Since Becca is very familiar with rose ceremonies, she's here to help us get Rosie heading for Rosario to the All-Star game. The Minnesota Twins got some reality star help this week, trying to make one of their own an All-Star. Minnesota's own bachelorette, Becca Kufrin, threw out the first pitch at Tuesday night's game. She even got a rose afterwards. It was part of the team's campaign to get Eddie Rosario into the All-Star game through the American League's final vote contest. Unfortunately, Rosario came in fourth, which means he will not be in the All-Star game, but Twins pitcher Jose Barreros will represent the team at the All-Star game in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. You can now listen to episodes of that issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on our website. Just head to the At Issue page at KSTP.com. And that is all the time we have for now. We hope to see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.